Welcome to the Everything's Coming Up Marketing Podcast, where we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of marketing and mental health. On this show, oversharing is caring. I'm your host, Amber Rhodes. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to Everything's Coming Up Marketing. I'm here today with Ryan Quinlan. The D is silent. And Ryan deals with stress by... I deal with stress with horror movies and angry music. I need to know so much more. I need your definition of a horror movie and then your definition Mm -hmm. of angry music. Great. I'll start with the latter. It's a little harder to define. Um, I like angry music. It doesn't even necessarily have to be... Like the lyrics don't even necessarily have to be angry. It's more about a, uh, I don't know, type of expression. So for instance, when I think of angry music, I think of, I think of like a lot of like angry rap music or um, heavy metal or like Rage Against the Machine is a big one for me. Uh, It's one of my favorite bands ever. Um, And I just find in general that that type of music allows me to, hmm, expel a lot of my negative and anxious emotions um and with horror movies that one i would say any motion um sorry any movie that is what i would call uh anxiety cinema right so like any movie that is just designed to make you feel anxious and tense and glued to your seat um typically a lot of blood too big fan of blood like you like slashers Oh, yes. Slashers are, without a doubt, my number one favorite type of movie of all time. Do you like good horror movies, or do the bad ones fall in there as well? See, see, now this is a, this is a tough question, because I would say, what's, what's necessarily the difference? There's definitely a spectrum, and the best thing that ever happened to the horror movie industry happened in 1996, when Wes Craven released Scream, and he said, what if we make a great movie that uses all of the bad horror movie tropes and sort of pokes fun at them. And now they've made six of them and they're all great. Well, I haven't seen the newest one, but it sounds really great. Um, I just finished a huge Scream uh, marathon. I watched all of them in order. Um, They're all genuinely better than I remembered. Um, And like, even though they're kind of bad, like Scream 3 is a bad movie, but I enjoyed every single second of it. (laughs) I've never seen a Scream movie. That's oh, so my good, fault. Yeah, I'm not so like good. anti-horror so, movie. There's there's so much fun lore around the Scream movies that I'm really obsessed with. So like, you know, this is a bit of a spoiler, but like part of what makes the Scream movie so fun is that in the original, they casted Drew Barrymore to be the star. Okay. And then like a week before they're like going to start filming, she's going to drop out because she has a conflict and they're like, no, we need you in this movie. You're on all all the posters. So we're going to do a quick rewrite. And basically they kill her off in the first three minutes of the movie. And so all of a sudden they're Everyone who's watching the first one is like, well, if they just killed off the girl that's on the face of the poster, then anything can happen, right? And that sort of set a standard for these movies and I think actually ended up sort of extending to some of the TV dramas that we like now where it's like anybody can die, you know, Um, except Neve Campbell. Neve Campbell's in all of them, as is Courtney Cox. So unless you're Neve Campbell or Courtney Cox, you can die. Scary. That's a good lesson in life in general, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're all 
We are all up for execution, essentially, except for Courtney Cox. Except for Courtney Cox and Neve Campbell. Yeah. Neve Campbell. What do you What do you think about this resurgence of like um, smart? I guess you could say like smart horror movies, Midsummer, Hereditary, stuff like this. Yeah. It's turning into movie talk. <laughs> That's my bad. No, 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 no. This is this is huge, right? Um, so I I think you're you're spot on. I feel like we're we're just sort of exiting this era of very very high intelligence horror, um, the Babadook and um, Midsummer and Hereditary, uh, both Ari Aster movies, and he is one of the most dark and twisted minds in the world. He made a short film when he was at NYU that is 20 minutes long and is without a doubt the most disturbing thing you'll ever see. It's something called, uh, I think it's called uh, Something Weird with the Johnsons, something like that. Anyway, I love, I love anything disturbing and twisted. And um, Ari Aster always says that he's obsessed with the idea of a secret. Like he's obsessed with the idea of like a secret and how it can destroy everything around them and i feel like that's a big a big theme in in horror movies in general um kind of lost my my thread there oh okay so we're talking about like the, the kind of like higher higher intelligence cinema yeah so i think we're leaving the era of higher intelligence cinema and i think we're really getting back into the 80s 90s era of simplified slasher horror i mean right now like i think the third highest grossing movie of the year so far is called cocaine bear um, and Scream 6 is not far behind it. I mean, they're back to putting sixes in movies. I mean, they used to like, for a while, they had just gotten rid of the numbers entirely. And now they're like, Scream 14, let's go. I'm all for <laughs> it. So I think we're getting back into a uh, a simplified popcorn movie era, which I'm all about. Is that kind of what, so the original question was, how do you relieve stress? So I don't want to lose sight of that. Yeah, I went that. off on a like whole tangent, but is some of that just like the popcornness of a movie? What helps you unwind? Because normally I think when you think de-stressing, you're not like, oh, people being murdered in a cabin. But for you, that works. So what is it? Yeah. Oh, that's like the most relaxing. So for me, I think... The reason that I find horror movies so cathartic is that nowadays it's harder than ever to find a true escape, right? Or to find a true release. And I find that for me, horror movies are kind of anxiety cinema, right? Because I don't even know if it necessarily needs to be horror. It doesn't need to be a murderer or a ghoul or a ghost, although that's pretty fun. Um, it just needs to make you feel like I can't look away. Because what that does is it keeps you look from looking at this thing, you know, and it, it really, really centers you in the screen and, and in the story. And I personally find that horror and, and those types of movies do that in a way that other cinema it just doesn't. You know, I feel I feel anxious and nervous and scared all the time, <laughs> all the time. And so for 96 minutes or whatever, I can sit in front of a screen and know exactly why I'm feeling those emotions, be able to perfectly channel that into something that I'm watching in front of me and all of a sudden enjoy it. That really makes sense, especially, so you held up your phone for reference. Like if I'm watching this thing, then I'm not looking at this 
tiny computer yep. in my hands. And I definitely find that even if I'm like, I'm going to unwind by watching Bravo TV, which is what I do, I'm still picking up my phone and scrolling and I'm like, what does Reddit have to say about this episode? But you're able to just completely immerse yourself in the 96 minutes, which in my opinion is the perfect length for any movie. You're able to just put yourself in that space and feel all the feelings and know exactly why you're feeling it. I try. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, eBay and Twitter might still be open. I, like, I, it's it's easier said than done. But I think it also depends on the movie. I'm also a huge fan of going to the movies by myself. This is something that I started back during the movie pass era. Certain movie buffs will remember the true beauty of paying, what was it, like $15 a month and being able to go to unlimited movies all the time. Um and I was particularly depressed at that time in my life. So I was going like two to three times a week and just seeing all these different movies. And I think that's really when I started to, that was around the time of this like super high intelligence indie uh, horror movie resurgence, right? Like I remember going and seeing The Witch and and, and movies of, of that kind of, of that genre, Midsummer, And, you know, seeing those movies by myself, um, I think that really, really centers you. You put the phone away because you don't want to be rude, right? And now I think I don't really go to the movies as much because, um, you know, it costs approximately $48 a ticket. And uh, most of the stuff is just right here on this big screen behind me. But I think that that desire for me to truly like escape and focus on something is still there. Yeah, and that kind of took me back. I'm also a solo movie goer. I really prefer it because I can go matinee and then no one's there. I love when no one is around me. Or just and you and the old people. That's the you best. And the old, me and the old people, we vibe. Like, the only people the same. I want to talk during movies. That's yeah. it. You have to be <laughs> over the age of 75. Because people allowed. who are over the age of 75 who talk during movies are the funniest people in the entire world. And so, so they get a pass. They get a hundred percent pass to talk as much and as loud as they want through the movie. And anybody under 75 has got to zip it. Zip it. Yeah. And there is something really nice. You're right about being disconnected from the world because you don't want to be rude. I would never open my phone up and like browse Facebook during a movie in the same way. I, I would never open my phone and browse Facebook period. I know. That's I don't know thing. why I picked from Facebook. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm aging myself. <laughs> Yeah, my my parents are always like, oh my gosh, did you see Aunt Susan had that surgery and won the lottery? And I'm like, I did not see that. No, but congrats. I was like, did she tweet about it? Did she tweet about it? (laughs) Did she open a room in Clubhouse? Was it on Reddit? (laughs) Am I on her close friend's story? Otherwise, I'm not going to catch it. Fair enough. And did you need to know it? Not really. (laughs) I'm going to backtrack a little because I, I made you just talk about movies like your, is it Roger Ebert? <laughs> like your, I love, I love Roger Ebert. I remember yeah. the moment Roger Ebert died. I was on a train back from New York city. I had just seen the Yankees Red Sox play. I had one ticket. I think it was like the first time I'd ever won anything. And I was on the train back and it was like midnight. And they announced that Roger Ebert had died. I definitely shed a tear. That was my guy. Yeah. I can see that because I can see that you think really deeply about movies. And he had a way, he had a way about him where he could like perfectly summarize the most in-depth intellectual film you've ever seen. 
And then he also had a way of like, he'd go see, I don't know, Ice Age 3 and write like, this is the most preposterous piece of shit I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I loved that about him. I loved that he was like, I like, I will go low. <laughs> yes. I will get real. <laughs> That's how I've earned this respect. Yes. Um, in the spirit of Roger Ebert and keeping it real, I have a very important question for you. Hey, how you doing? Oh, Joey, I'm doing okay. I'm feeling I'm feeling a little stressed. I I'm feeling a hefty dose of imposter syndrome. Just that classic case of the tasks are piling up, and you know you won't be able to do them all this week. And maybe you'll get them all done by the end of next week. But it just sort of seems like the uh, kind of the myth of Sisyphus, just pushing the startup boulder up the hill. Um, but also, that's kind of what I live for. So, so yeah, I would say um, stressed out, but but decent. Okay, I think that there's no better descriptor of working in a startup than Sisyphus. And I think if if you don't know what Sisyphus is, you probably didn't ever see a Red Bull commercial 10 years ago or watch Wishbone would be my guess. Mm -hmm. Or take an intro to philosophy class. That too. I I went like super lowbrow, but intro to philosophy as well. For sure. Well, and you know, I identify quite a bit with my guy Sisyphus. I think he... I think he really summarizes the human condition. Um, well, and if you're an absurdist like me, you would believe that, you know, just because he's stuck doing the same thing all the time doesn't inherently mean that there's no purpose to that for him because life itself is absurd and lacks meaning. And therefore it is on us to go and find this meaning Uh, That is a brutal, brutal misquote of Albert Camus. He was also French, so whatever. I'm going to pretend that I translated it myself. Okay, you did a great job with that translation. Thank you so much. I'm fluent, fluent in in philosophical French. Amazing. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you do in your role, because you, your LinkedIn says that you were the first hire at Laudable, which shout out Laudable. Hello, Angela. (laughs) Love Laudable. Um, Yeah, tell me what you do because your role seems like it spans a bunch of different categories and departments. Yeah, great question. So uh, I was first hired at Laudable about two and a half years ago. Um, And I like to say I've taken the kind of enterprise rent-a-car way up where I've kind of done each job individually as I've grown. And so, you know, my role today is a little bit of a a hybrid, but uh, I'm mostly focused on anything revenue related um, and keeping our customers really, really happy. Um, I also have found that a great way to do both of those things is to create content. Uh, And so we use content in a really fun way, um, both for current customers uh, and prospects, and also um, to really help Laudable kind of punch above our weight in our industry by just standing out on people's LinkedIn's and TikTok. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of a a look at what I do. Um, but mostly, mostly if you want an accurate description, um, I'm the little dog and the, this is fine meme with all the fire around it. In fact, that is without a doubt, my most used zoom background is just that fire behind me. Um, that's a classic. Well, I never thought about using it as a zoom background. 
Does it? Oh yeah. Oh, it's great. Emotion one or is it flat, like static? Oh, it's flat. It's flat. I don't want to be a distraction, right? I'm a professional. Right. I'm a professional. If I'm going to use a Zoom background of a cartoon dog on fire, I'm not going to let it be distracting. No. What I mean, we're like trying to make our moves, career moves in this world. Yeah. And you want a CEO background static, not right. like an entry level. I, when people look at me and they look at the cartoon flames behind me, I want them to think professionalism. Yep. Yep. Or like that's a billionaire. That's a future billionaire. Right yep, there. he oozes success. Ooh, gross! Like a snail. Uh. Like a <laughs> successful snail. All right, you broke me. <laughs> <laughs> so this kind of like makes me think of your the content that you create is kind of goofy, right? Like you are out here to make us a lull, to hee hee and ha ha. What is it? that keeps you going and coming up with these ideas? Cause some of them are truly absurd. I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say, you know, insanity, insanity. Um, I, I definitely have a, a healthy dose of class clown syndrome. I've definitely been moved away from my friends in class more times than I can count, you know, and I found that that personality has never really left me. Um, I am still disruptive on all hands meetings. In fact, a lot of my content is about that. Um, and I've just found that in general, you know, I, I enjoy a workplace that doesn't take itself too seriously. And I personally don't take my job or this industry too seriously. Okay. Maybe I take my job too seriously, but definitely not the B2B industry. Cause frankly, if you're taking B2B marketing too seriously, like we are not EMTs. We are not. So so we can have a little bit of fun with it. Also, like as someone who spends a ton of time on LinkedIn, all I do is laugh at people. I mean, have you seen some of the shit that's on there? So I have to I have to try and translate some of that into into some humor in my content. Um, and most of all, you know, it helps you stand out. Um, you know, one, very few people are doing vertical video, period, on LinkedIn, let alone vertical video that kind of embarrasses yourself a little bit. LinkedIn is not a place where people are, you know, kind of, I don't know, self-degrading or self-deprecating. LinkedIn is not really a place where people are self-deprecating uh, and they tend to take themselves very seriously and write really, really long posts. I can still be kind of, you know, guilty of that myself. But I think coming out and cutting through the bullshit with kind of a funny take, maybe something that's a little bit absurd, um, I think is important. Plus, I'm not afraid to post things that I don't think everybody will get. Like, I really love niche humor. I love, I'm like, well, if you don't get it, you don't get it. <laughs> like, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dumb it down. And I find that if I'm like, should I post this? That's gonna be what gets the most engagement. That's interesting. So yeah. you just kind of like have developed this whole new like gut feeling for what's going to work and what's not going to work based on your unique personality. The more hesitant I am to press post, the better it is nine times out of 10, because I find that in general, that means that I'm embarrassing myself the most in, in that, right? I take a lot of inspiration from my fiance. She is just absolutely fearless and hilarious and is the classic person who 
will do something funny to embarrass me in the grocery store every single time. You know what I mean? Like, that's who she is. She doesn't care who sees. She's just trying to get a rise out of me. I'm inspired by that. I try to apply that same mentality to my content because that's how that's how you that's how you jump out. That's how you how you be kind of funny and cut through the noise. Yeah. And you have so many it seems like so many ideas that I've not really seen before. Um I liked when I think it was Elon Musk had just taken over Twitter and you were like, we're hiring. Um, and just that taking that angle was not anything I expected. How do you come up with these ideas? That's a great question. Um, Laudable has a, has a very quick moving idea culture. So we keep um, air tables of different hypotheses and different things that we want to test. And we've established like a very quick to act mentality on these things. Um, if I have an idea around something that I think we can capitalize on, um, we jump on it. And Elon Musk was an early one of that. Laudable actually owns breakupwithelon.com. I think that's exact. I think that's what it is. And so that might be coming back in in coming months. Um, although to be honest, he kind of already laid off everybody, so I don't know how much more there is there. Um, but you know, that was, that was a fun way to capitalize both on the news and the fact that we were hiring engineers, uh, and people were leaving Twitter kind of in waves. Right. Um, so as someone who is chronically online, way too online, like that's something that I always want to be able to take advantage of. I can tell that it's a pretty fast moving organization. I mean, because you just told me, but also as we're a customer, and I will make a suggestion and then within like a day, it's either been done or been recommended or we can't do that, you know? Well, that's and just I because you're the mayor. I'm the mayor. I'm the mayor. And you're I also, I have a really bad habit of no one asks me for product recommendations, but I'll just be like, can we do this? Can we do that? And I'm like, can someone get me on an advisor role actually? Because I would love to tell you what I want to change. <laughs> Well, in all seriousness, I wish you could see our product channel because it's so often, hey, Amber floated this idea, let's brainstorm <laughs> around this. Not even kidding. And when I think that you, like, I I really enjoy your, I don't know, your your spirit of asking questions and not, it doesn't even necessarily, it's not even necessarily a recommendation. It's more about like, hey did you guys mean to make this incredibly shitty and difficult for me? Uh, like, I'm just kidding. But like in the, in the best way, like I, I love the way that you're able to challenge us and sort of guide us to making the product easier for you because that's what great customers do. I will tell you that all of it stems from wanting to do less work just in general. I'm Every time I'm doing something, I'm like, how can I make this easier on me? And that came from a lot of just working too much, too hard and making everything way harder for myself. And then I was like, well, we have all these tools. They should be working for me. <laughs> if we're paying yeah. for them, they should be working for me. And that was kind of a, a hard lesson learned from basically burning myself out, trying to like make everything work perfectly. Um, and then, you know, doing the task myself and that's crazy. Can't happen. A hundred percent. Well, and that's what Laudable is all about, right? The Laudable app is is literally dedicated to making life for B2B marketers easier, right? Uh, as well as salespeople who want to use customer quotes and 
social proof. Like, so anytime we can have someone in a role like yours, someone who's actually touching these proof points all the time, give us recommendations on how to make it easier. And that's the whole point of the product. Like, yes, please. Yeah. I love it. I love that I'm all up in your product recommendations. Oh, please <laughs> climb on in. <laughs> Dig around. I would love to get back to like the mental health stuff. Please. Um, crack, just crack, crack me open like an egg. I, sh I sure will. So tell me a bit about the relationship for you between mental health and work. Mm-hmm. Great question. I would say that my 20s have been basically dedicated to finding that answer. As someone who's only ever worked in startups, um, I have really walked a tightrope of taking my job way too seriously um, and, I don't know, and trying to find that sort of work-life balance. Work-life balance, I think, is a term that we use all the time. And it's something that I think we expect organizations to provide. And I, now I'm biased because I've only ever worked in small companies, but I find that nine times out of 10, it's completely on you to build it for yourself. Um, and sometimes to be a little bit brutal about it. You know, there are plenty of companies that, um, Laudable included, that are like, please, like, take care of yourself, make sure that you're feeling great, take time if you need it, right? But most companies aren't like that. And so in the past, I've had really struggled to kind of find that balance. Um, this is all a long-winded way of saying that if you work in, uh, in the startup world, to be totally honest, like you have to kind of claw your way to work-life balance, but it's absolutely possible. And I think that getting engaged and starting to really plan my future has been one of the best things that could happen for me with that because all of a sudden it's like, like I have to do this. Like I have to find work-life balance because the life part is expanding dramatically, right? Um, and so, you know, you simply just find capacity that wasn't there before. Uh, and the longer I'm at Laudable, the more I'm able to really craft my role into something that I find energizing. And so even if it requires, you know, a ton of extra time and love and attention, it's not leaving me drained in the life part. I think that that's so important, um, especially as you grow in your career. We might start out in roles that totally drain us because unfortunately, that's just the way of things. You You start in an entry level role. And it's not that exciting. I've been an admin assistant more times than I can count. And I found that those, while they didn't use a lot of like strategy or anything like that, I didn't own my role. Um, other people basically owned my time and it was so exhausting. But now that I would say I probably use more brain power for strategizing but I don't have to use so much brain power for like navigating relationships and things that I'm not necessarily good at that don't bring me joy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it does take those first few years to even figure out where you want to go with your career and what that means, I think, for your work-life balance. 
That's spot on. I, something that jumped out to me that you said was like navigating personalities. I feel like your first three jobs are going to be a steel cage match with your boss. Like that's just kind of how it it works, especially if you work in anything creative. Um, I also think if your boss is, maybe I'll get myself in trouble here. If your boss is a white male over the age of 45, good luck. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're not hurting any feelings on this podcast. Like you're you're gonna have a you're gonna have a hard time getting your ideas executed, right? I have found that in order to really be able to execute on things that I want to execute on and be able to be creative and take risks, I had to go and work for people who had that kind of mentality. And I think that having a really healthy relationship with your boss, newsflash, is great for your job, right? Super controversial opinion here, Ryan. But I think that people actually underestimate just how much. Um, And the fact that I am, you know, I not only have a good working relationship, but am an incredibly close friends with my boss and CEO, Angela, um, that makes it really easy for us to brainstorm and come up with new ideas. When we were up in Lake Tahoe in our retreat, all hanging around, like lounging on the couches, we came up with a really fun idea that went into our hypothesis doc that we're already executing on, right? That's how it should be. And in the past, I've felt that it is clash of the egos all the time, especially in organizations that take a little bit more of a traditional mentality to marketing and I would say org structure as well. Um, How dare you challenge me on XYZ, you little shrimp or whatever they, you pawn. You peon, yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When like, I mean, the one of the best feelings in the world when you're like 24, 25, right? Is you say, hey, hey, me, that's a bad idea. And they're like, what did you just say? You're like, that's not going to (laughs) work. And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And then it blows up in everybody's face, right? And you can't take, you can't say, I told you so. You can't really take any victory lap. Otherwise, it just hurts you. But you know that you were right. And in the back of your mind, you're like, if I had made that decision, it would have gone better. And I feel like you get enough of those under your belt that you're like, these people don't know anything really more than what I know. And you, once you kind of crack that formula and you're like, these people are just kind of bossing me around for no reason, you start to change what you look for in leadership and what you look for in org structure. Um, part of the reason why I've always wanted to work for startups, because I really like a flat org structure, is that just because I have an inherent rejection of authority stemming back to my Catholic school upbringing, that's for you and my therapist, Brett, to decide. But I think that in terms of my career, it's worked out very well and has taught me exactly who I want to work for. I think that you've figured that out sooner than most as well. Like, it sounds like you have a pretty good handle on understanding that a startup structure, small business, more flexible work is kind of your thing. And you didn't really, did you ever go through the ranks of like working at a bigger company? Um, No. Nope. That's amazing. No, in fact, the largest company I've ever worked for was eight people. So, Whoa. yeah. So I've I've really I've really gone through. I don't know. I've really gone through the startup gauntlet. When I was nineteen, I got an internship with a startup here in Philadelphia 
uh, it's a company called Supermighty, and what they were doing was they were building um, they were building tech that could be implemented into mobile games that would allow in-app purchases to donate to charity. And so it was cool. Uh, every day I would come in, and there was a big whiteboard, and there were two numbers on that whiteboard. One was how many wells we've built in Africa. Wow, that's really exciting. And the other number was how many days left before we're all out of money and nobody has a job anymore. And that number... <laughs> That number was typically around the same number as the wells we had built, which was right above a dozen, right? So it was constantly, okay, so that we now have four days left and we're going to go find someone's, some angel investor randomly. Don't ask about where the money came from, right? And it's like, that was exhausting, but it was also kind of exciting. And I think early on, I recognized that like, well, this is at least not boring. You know, I'm definitely not bored. <laughs> um, and so I think like when I when I graduated college and I started looking for new opportunities, I was keenly aware like, okay, small company, I'm going to be able to do more. I'm going to be able to be less bored. And, you know, maybe it'll last longer. <laughs> maybe the company won't crash and burn. The, the chances are not zero, though. That's the interesting thing about startups where it's um... – I feel passionate about this job. I like my job. It's interesting and cool. And I would never get this at like Microsoft or what's another, like Deloitte. <laughs> but Johnson and Johnson. I would never get this at Johnson and Johnson. It it's would not happen. And but there's always that back of your mind if we don't get a series A, if we don't get a series B, this job could be gone very quickly. So I feel like that we're just kind of always operating with this low level stress in the background. Do you feel that? Yeah, hundred percent. But I also think that that, that really speeds up your career. It's like in a, it's like a double XP token like in a mm. video game. Like I feel like working in startups is like that. And I don't know. I feel like it, it, you know, I like to play worst case scenario, right? Like what's worst case scenario, right? Like everything crashes, burns, I'm out of a job, like, okay, drop me into any interview and I'm going to have some crazy stories. And like, you know, like I will be battle tested. Like I'm coming in with the scars, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. I, I hate that we're, we're ragging on Johnson and Johnson. I only think of them because they recruited so heavily out of my college. Like I, I like to imagine that if you dropped me in to an interview, you know, and I was up, up against another, let's just say, 28-year-old white dude that looked like me, I like to think that my stories and my history would be a little bit more interesting, right? Especially given my experience. But it depends on what they're looking for. I also have come to accept that who I am and my personality will automatically disqualify me from the majority of jobs. Um, and I've accepted that. I think I've leaned into it on purpose. Not necessarily, I guess, maybe not disqualify me, but like, you know, if if you don't want to work with me, I don't want to work with you. Pretty clear. Like, we're going to butt heads for sure. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great way to look at it because it's fully embracing who you are, understanding what you need from a company. Because as you get older, you also learn that that interview process is not necessarily just for them to vet you, but for you to vet them. And as you become more comfortable with doing that, you're going to end up in places that fit what you need more frequently. But it it is hard to put yourself in that mindset because 
I we're millennials, but I grew up where it was like having a job. You're so lucky. You have a full time job. You have healthcare that's not provided by your parents. Like it felt like a miracle to get one of those. And then you just had to deal with it. You know, like you just had to deal with the punches that came along. But you're kind of recognizing now I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> I'll end up where I need to end up. Yeah. You know, my, my mom and my grandfather both worked for the government their whole careers, right? Like, I, I think that, I don't know, the, the, the days of you get a job and you build a pension over 30 years and you retire, um, I, I don't want to say that they're over, but they're definitely harder to find. Um, so I don't know. I think I think that, you know, when we think about, you know, wealth creation and trying to set yourself up for the future, I think nowadays trying to take a traditional route to success um, might not get you very far. So might as well swing for the fences. Um, it's kind of the way that I look at it. Um, you know, I, I like to imagine that, you know, I, I'm. I'm riding with Laudable until until the very end, regardless of what that is. And, you know, I like to imagine that my next job I won't have to interview for. You know what I mean? Um, that's that's the dream, right? Maybe that's naive, but I think that's that's really the dream of getting to a point where you've established yourself and what you stand for in your experience, where you're not going in and trying to justify why you've never worked in a company larger than a certain size. You know, you, what you've executed speaks for yourself. So that's where I'm hoping to get to. I do think that's the dream. And then that's kind of where we see a lot of companies, at least in B2B SaaS, that's where we see them going, where people, when they move jobs, you just have to assume because of who they are, that they didn't have to interview, that they were approached and then brought on. And like, I'm with you. I'm like, I never want to have to interview again in my life if it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You think Britney Spears is out there making cold calls? No. Uh, no, so she's she a legend. Might, she might. She's defined. <laughs> Christina Aguilera, Dolly Parton. Do you think you think that they're applying? You think they are auditioned for things? No. I love that you That's included Xtina. <laughs> yeah, well, I and I wanna I set the bar high. I set yeah. the bar high. The vocals are here. The star power is a little bit lower with Oh, Christina. I mean, and like this Britney, incredible voice, but like for being honest, like it's the star power above everything with Britney. I mean, you know, who who else who else had a Pepsi commercial like that, right? Come on. Oh, Beyonce. the Pepsi commercials. Yes. It's just her and Beyonce. Yeah. There was a time where Pepsi was like super cool. There's this documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. It was like Pepsi Where's My Jet or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was a great one. It just it did remind it brought me back to that time when you could just have a bunch of bottle caps and then get free stuff. It's true. So when I, my first like real job was with a marketing agency and I was the account manager for PepsiCo because we were very small. (laughs) And so I was managing PepsiCo uh, and they're a pretty fascinating company. Um, One, they're obsessed with Beyonce um, as, as we all are and should be. But basically like the fact that Beyonce was like their, like spokesperson representative super bowl halftime right like she's everywhere inside their their white plains new york headquarters it's pretty funny um 
I had them, uh, they had to send me examples of some signage they were using and all the signage they sent were, were, had, were Beyonce signs because they just have them all laying around. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're also a fascinating organization because they have a, um, a brutal competition with Coca-Cola, like to the point, like, like, no, like it, however bad you think it is, it's worse. Um, I wonder if I'll get in trouble for saying this. Probably not. I don't work for PepsiCo. They have or had, maybe they don't have it anymore, an award that was a crushed Coke can (laughs) spray painted gold and they would give it to the salesperson that stole the most Coca-Cola like shelf space in a given year. Pretty cool stuff. And I I don't know. Anyway, I, I thought that kind of stuff was pretty cool and they had some of the most motivated like frontline employees because they really leaned into kind of the competitive nature of that. Um, It's like bloods and crips. That's crazy. But you know, Pepsi is really at a disadvantage because if you go to a restaurant and you ask for a diet Coke and they say, is Pepsi okay? That that's timeless. Like once that goes away, Pepsi has won, but for now Coke is still on top. Yeah. Where Pepsi wins and this is how they would always justify it. Like, is is they've also got like Frito-Lay and it's like Mm. sure you've got Coca-Cola but like we have Doritos too so it's like do you want a Coca-Cola or do you want a Pepsi and a bag of Doritos that's you're like shit shit so good the um definitely I'm a, a cool ranch gal oh Solid choice. The best Dorito, though, it only exists in Ireland and the UK, and it's called Tangy Cheese. It's like a slightly sweet, slightly spicy version of the nacho cheese flavor. It comes in like a neon, like yellow-orange bag. I don't know why they don't have the Tangy Cheese flavor there. Probably because it's so packed with preservatives, it's illegal to bring out of the country. That would be my guess. Um, It's probably banned by the European Union. Mm. Um, So they have Tangy Cheese Doritos and they are unbelievable. Okay. I am hoping to go to the UK, so I will have to find these. Uh there's never been a name more British than Tangy Cheese. Tangy so. Cheese. Oh yeah. That actually sounds like a British man. Yeah. Tangy Reginald Cheese. That sounds pretty that sounds like a real person. Tangy Reggie. Uh, the thing about the UK though is they're really obsessed with their shrimp flavors. Now I like shrimp, but let's cool it a little bit the most popular chip flavor there um is is like is shrimp <laughs> it's like mm. shrimp flavored shrimp cocktail all that kind of stuff come on i love a shrimp chip really mm-hmm. wow well i guess it's making its way over to the states yeah um my family familiarity with shrimp chips is from like asian markets they're mm. like nice okay. and crunchy and good i don't know about a british shrimp chip I don't yeah. know if I'm willing to go that far with my chocolate. Oh, they got us with the Cadbury eggs. Yeah. Cadbury egg, you're eating, you're getting through the chocolate, you open it up. Oh, what's inside? It's a bag of shrimp chips. Damn. <laughs> Damn, they got us. All right. Do you need to do you need to bring this back to any of the horror movie or music stuff? I do. See, I knew this was gonna happen. For the listeners, Ryan and I have never spoken IRL or recorded before and i was like is that true yeah and i was like i'm realizing this i know that as soon as i get on a call with ryan i will not want to stop because i I just i love your sense of humor i'm a chatter 
Um, I love what you've already said about like how it helps you, how you watch uh, scary movies to unwind, you listen to angry music to unwind. Is there anything else that you do that keeps you centered and keeps you focused on your mental health despite the chaotic nature of a startup life? What a great question. Yeah, you know, I, I really... I really value my social life and I really value living in the city of Philadelphia and all the opportunities that it gives me. Admittedly, as you get older and now that I no longer drink, like it's, it can be a little tricky to find kind of those natural social spaces. But um, I am like a Philadelphia sports fanatic, obviously repping the Phillies today. Um, And so I, I find that, you know, similar to, to horror movies, right? Sports are the ultimate type of anxiety cinema. Um, and it's like, if I'm just worried about, you know, James Harden's, you know, lingering Achilles injury, it makes it a little easier for me to maybe not worry about all the other things going on in my life. I'm all about finding healthy distractions, um, especially ones that I feel genuinely passionate about. So I would say that that's a big one. Also, just the the way that I'm able to connect with so many friends um, and family members on on that same level. Um, I think that especially in Philadelphia, um, sports are really our religion. You know, um, I was raised in like an Irish Catholic household, uh, but like Philadelphia sports were a true religion, um, and so that that has definitely stayed with me and I think has very much defined my social experience as someone in my, in my late twenties. Those sound like great distractions too, because they're, they're so separated from work. It's not like the distraction of coming up with a course and how to create content like that. Some people do that, but then that's still, that's still work, but you're like out here watch, watching the sports balls. I don't really follow sports, but you love them. I sure am. It's okay though. You know, the way I describe it is, or like a comparison that I make is my fiance is absolutely obsessed with the bachelor nation, right? That's what they call it. I call it the bachelor universe. And she goes, it's the bachelor nation. She actually just did, uh, she went to a PowerPoint party. These are like blowing up and uh, she did an hour long presentation on the rise and fall of bachelor nation. She's amazing. And we always talk about how similar the Bachelor and sports, like pick a sport, NBA, NFL, are, right? You have this rotating seasons, right? It's coming on all the time. You're following fan favorites. Anytime it's airing, Twitter is just ablaze talking about it. It links you with other people where it's like every week, you know, you're going to be texting the same couple of people about this. Like that adds a real structure and social dynamic to your life. And so, we always talk about like, you know, the Bachelor finale was on the other night. Maggie and I kept calling it the Super Bowl. Like, Super Bowl is coming on because that's what it feels like, right? And so I find that like, I don't know, I know that you love your reality TV. Maggie and I have been on a real nostalgia MTV run. Uh, all those shows are on Paramount+. Plus, and so we, we just finished our Jersey Shore rewatch. And now we're watching um, Family Reunion and like, it's it's fun to follow these almost like a almost like a sporting event, right? Uh, again, all of these all of these distractions. Uh, th- this is what makes life fun, right? 
pop culture and culture in general, American culture, right? This is what we're this is what we're defined by. Go to any other country and they're going to have the NBA on, right? There's a reason for that. I try to lean into it. Yeah. Also, Bachelor is sports. I will say, like, it you is. could go back in the seasons and find where there's like strategy that people employed, or you can yeah. see oh, yeah. where like there's a play where, especially this one's really common where two women don't like each other and then they both go to the bachelor and complain about each other. And at that point they're both out, you know, like you just know that it's like, okay. So Eagles were just in the super bowl and the super bowl ended on a really controversial penalty play, right? This most recent season of the bachelor ended with a really controversial fantasy suites debacle, right? He slept with one. He told the other about it. Did he sleep with her? We don't know, but he ended up with her. So it's certainly possible he slept with her and didn't tell anybody because he didn't want to embarrass her because he'd already known that he had chosen Katie. But then all of a sudden, like he's, he's leading the other one on. Oh my gosh. Chris Harrison's gone. Oh yeah. Who replaced Chris Harrison? No, oh, I, I don't know. He sucks though. He's bad. And now the creator of the franchise just stepped down. It's like, oh my gosh, this is just like the NFL. It is. It really is. I'm glad that you have that as a distraction as well. because it. So something that I think is really interesting about The Bachelor, because it is sports, but then it's also like, for me, watching reality TV is an exercise in understanding human emotions. <laughs> Not like I'm a robot, but I can watch it and I'd be like, oh, I wouldn't do that because of this. Or I like the way that she did this because I thought it was really empathetic. Um, and it kind of makes me feel connected in some way to like these larger stories, which might sound bonkers bananas, but has been really no. nice for me for like under just becoming like a stronger writer and content creator, I would say. Oh, that's spot on. The biggest misconception that people have about reality TV is that it's extreme or that these people are incredibly unique or different. That is, that is, it couldn't be further from the truth. The whole idea is that these are. Maybe normal is pushing it. These are real people in crazy scenarios, right? And we're watching real people sort of react to this crazy scenario around them, right? You can take the most normal person in the world. If you drop them into Love is Blind on Netflix, it's like Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's animalistic, Right. Um, and so I think like watching Jersey Shore, people think like, oh my gosh, think of all the drugs and the clubbing. It's like, no, Jersey Shore, there's a whole episode that's just Snooky trying to get a small motorized bike across the boardwalk without turning it on because she's been informed that she's so drunk. If she turns it on, she's going to get a DUI. That's like half the episode. That's incredible television. That's hu- that's real human emotion. That's the human experience. Um I remember watching the first season of Jersey Shore in my dorm room. And I was like, this is chef's kiss. This is cinema. There's just like the duck phone. They're selling t-shirts. It can't get more like real gritty Jersey than this. And as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Have you watched Family Reunion? It's unbelievably good. It might be better than the original show. And, And the only reason I say that is because like, Okay, so Mike's sober now, which is incredible. He's so different. He's so weird and awkward now that he's super sober. He's kind of like the group dad. Um, and Snooky is like a real mom 
and like she's kind of the group mom now i don't know it's just like watching these people become like real like healthy adults is somehow the most fascinating then you drop them back in the house and they all like resort back into their their like former destructive selves oh it's amazing that makes sense to me i'm the kind of person where if i'm put in a say like i live alone now right because i'm i'm in my 30s but if i had to go live with my mom again, I'm reverting. I'm like, mom, stop doing that. You're being so annoying. So I totally understand. <laughs> it's like, you're a fully formed human being at this point. But if you're put in a certain situation, like you said, Lord of the flies, like it's totally different. Yeah. Well, this ties, this ties it back. I think like what you love about reality TV is exactly what I love about horror movies too, right? Similar concept. Like here are real people dropped into an extreme scenario and so like you're able to relate to them on the idea that you too are a real person and then you get to experience true distraction and escapism by this extreme fantasy scenario right and it's like in scream you know it's a mysterious killer um who is secretly one of your friends but you don't know which one right and on i don't know below deck you're working for this Hugh Hefner ass boat captain and and attending to some of the weirdest and wealthiest people in the world. I mean, that's those premises aren't too dissimilar. Yeah. It makes me think of um there was a, a movie that came out recently about like foodies. The menu. The sh- I was just menu. thinking about this. Is that good? Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic in that it's completely ridiculous and feels kind of like a Shyamalan movie. Um, But it's great. And again, the basic premise is let's take the richest people in the world and they take, they go to the most exclusive restaurant in the world and it's on an Island with no cell service and they can't escape. Right now you can see all the possible things that could happen. Right. But that sounds, that's survivor. That's survivor. Get Jim Probst. That is the show survivor. Yeah. That's incredible. But with Ralph Fiennes. Oh. And Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh. Yeah. Just such a, a great cast. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And if you're like a little bit of a foodie, it makes it especially fun. I was recommended it by my friend who is a chef and was like, oh, you got to watch this. This is really fun. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. If you like anxiety cinema, you'll love this. I think I must. I didn't yeah. know that about myself, but I think I must. I think that reality TV and horror movies are way more related than people give them credit for. I, you've like sold me and I have to agree that the, maybe when you told me that you watch horror movies to unwind, I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm so sure. But now that we've chatted, you've changed my mind. I'm a believer. It's like what reality tv like what's a stereotypical reality tv plot are they all sitting around relaxing no they're throwing wine glasses okay like that's that's not necessarily like you know people people's friends drama stresses them out but watching the drama of complete strangers from the comfort of your home is delightful and it's like when I'm all snuggled up in bed, completely safe and sound, I want to watch Drew Barrymore get absolutely slaughtered. Sorry, Drew. Fair. Yeah. And I want to watch middle-aged women yell at each other. Yeah. I can fall asleep to that. Oh, it's it's so soothing. Yeah. It's like white noise. It's like <laughs> white people noise. In the case of like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, it literally is white noise. Yeah. And in this part. 
this has been a great conversation. I have two more questions to wrap it up. And the first Maybe. one is, can you share some advice that you have for someone who, let's say they're, they're working at like a really fast-paced startup like you are. What can they do to maintain their mental health and take care of themselves? Great. Great question. Number one, turn off email notifications on your phone. As soon as you get a job in a company smaller than 20 people, you need to turn off email notifications on your phone. Decide when and how people are going to be able to reach you. If it's Teams, if it's Slack, stay there, okay? And then don't let anybody text you. That, I think, is a is a barrier to, to establish. When I started at Laudable, I stopped putting my phone number in my email signature. It's one of the best decisions I ever made, okay? You have to set these little tiny rules for yourself. Someone might complain at some point. Um, that's okay. You can you can deal with one or two micro instances, right? But overall, it will make a huge, huge impact on your health. Number two, start dropping blocks on your calendar. Do you need time to work on something? Block off two to three hours, weeks in advance even. Um, are you going out to dinner with your parents? You might, you're not even sure, block it off. Just block it off. And then all of a sudden, you're not going out to dinner with your parents, but you still have this block on your calendar. Guess what? You're out to dinner with your parents, okay? No matter what anybody says. Like these are the kinds of things that I think are really, really important to establish in a healthy work life balance, uh, especially if you work from home. That's one of the perks of a flexible schedule is building it yourself. Um, and as someone who works myself to the bone um, and is constantly stressing myself out about not doing enough, I find it really, really helpful to draw the line of, okay, the laptop is getting closed and the notifications are getting paused and I'm done. Um I also, I also have a, uh, like a work tracking system. I basically have my own system for the way that I kind of track my hours and how much I'm sort of putting in on, a, on any given day. And the reason why I do that is specifically for if there's a day where I'm just really off or really stressed out or I battle with migraines, um, it, it allows me to go, okay, so I'm going to sort of cut today a little bit short and looking at the rest of my week. Here are two days that I know I can actually extend my time a little bit to make up for it. And now all of a sudden, I don't feel guilty about taking the time that I need because I've already sort of preset a system where I know, okay, if anybody asks me about this, I let them know, yeah, so I actually took two to, two hours off of Tuesday and I built those back in through the rest of my schedule, et cetera. Um, these are things that I was really inspired to do after working with people who have wives and husbands and children. Um, I think like, if those people have the skill set and the elite skill set of managing their schedule, why can't I? Yeah, I especially like that because you had mentioned it earlier that you sort of have to build it for yourself. You're not going to be given work-life balance, unfortunately. Maybe 60 years ago it would have happened naturally, but now not so much. Yeah, well, um, because 60 years ago you would drive home and nobody could reach you. <laughs> you could unplug the phone. Yeah, I wouldn't have a job yeah. 60 years ago, though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, it's like, oh, I got to take work home with me. And it's like big scrolls of paper. You remember when everything was on scrolls? Like those big tubes? Like the Declaration oh, yeah, of yeah, Independence yeah. Uh -huh, would be uh -huh, in? Uh -huh. You know, that's what I feel like when I'm imagining, like, people in 1992 taking their work home with it. It's like bags and scrolls. And it's like, nowadays, <laughs> it's just like, I'm at a comedy show and people are, our clients are messaging me, right? Like, you have to, like, that's not natural. So whatever we can do to overcome that. Let's do that. Yeah, I like the idea of building in blocks in advance. And something that I've tried to do for myself, based on what you just said, is um, 
for PTO, we have unlimited PTO, which is a trap for people like me who just find out like they just want to work all the time. It's just who I am. I've just started putting random days on my calendar. I looked up how many days do Europeans get (laughs) so that I went on my calendar. It's so many. So I went on my calendar. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have, I want to work like Europeans, just PTO, PTO, PTO across the year to kind of force myself to take those days off. Even if I don't have a vacation planned, then I'm just, I'm just going to have a random Friday and see like how the Germans live. Yeah. Well, and like that, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, like a random Friday off, like for your coworkers, is kind of the easiest thing for them to manage. Like, okay, Ryan's here, but he's going to be out Monday or out Friday. Like it doesn't really, even in small companies, a lot of times it doesn't even really impact you that much. And it's like, but that one extra day might completely turn around the span of the month for me as someone who, who battles with mental health issues. Right. Um, so I'm a huge fan of that. And it's like, if you, if you, if things get really stressful, then you get to be the hero. And it's like, you know what, guys, I'm going to go ahead and take this day off off of my schedule and come into work this day off. That was so important and specific that I definitely had things planned for. I'm going to sacrifice that for you guys and everyone golf claps, you know, we love emotional manipulation at work. Yeah. Well, it's just a little bit of just, just a little bit of sauce. You know, you put a little Some bit spice. of sauce on it. Some sauce. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I think that those are all really great tips and I appreciate you sharing them. Okay. Final thing I'll say. Yeah. Time zones we're at, we're at war with. Okay. Time mm-hmm. zones are evil. They were created to ruin the life of East Coasters. Okay. I, this is a belief. This is a true belief that I have. Okay. Time zones declared war on EST is the way that I look at it. Okay. Half my clients live in California. Okay. It's 10 PM here. Okay. All right. Let's, let's do math in our heads. So that, that is something that I think like, if you ever feel hesitant about blocking things off, remember that we came up with this system where it's just different times for different people and they're allowed to just message you whenever they want, okay? Mm -mm. That's not how this works, okay? We need to get rid of daylight savings. We need to get rid of time zones. Oh, but Ryan, it's going to be pitch black in Australia at 1 p.m. I'm sorry. It's a sacrifice we're going to have to make. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to make that sacrifice too. Them's the rules. Look, I'm, I'm the only one brave enough to say it. Put everyone in the world on Eastern Standard Time. Yep. Ryan2024, that is your platform. Ryan2024, get rid of daylight savings time. Everyone's on Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to win a couple of states, New Jersey, New York. <laughs> you For know, sure. I'll win the East Coast. I'll win the East Coast and then nothing else. At least you got some states. That's typically how the Democrats do anyway. Uh... <laughs> Can you ba-dum-tsh. can you end us on a joke for a real ba-dum-tsh? Oh yeah, I'll tell you my favorite joke ever and I made it up when yeah. I was like six years old. Okay. All right. What did Nala say to Simba during the stampede? Move faster. Oh no. <laughs> uh, I cannot I can't watch that movie as an adult. I'm just bawling. As a kid, oh, I'm like how did I handle that? 
it's absolutely heartbreaking. Good thing. Good thing they made that CGI remake everybody saw. I was literally, I was talking to my partner about that yesterday and I was like, what happened to it? Like, no one's like, that's my favorite movie. The original is your favorite movie. My theory is that Disney just does this to, to raise the value of the movies on their own streaming platforms. It's like, oh, that Little Mermaid CGI real person remake sucked. I'm going to go watch the original one. Oh, I need to buy Disney Plus. That's fair. Yeah. And, and it maybe used to be like, it's their new updated vault. You know, the vault where it's like, you can't buy this movie for 10 years and now you can buy this Amber, movie. you're exactly right. That's literally it. They, yeah. they, they used to always artificially enhance the value of different movies. They've always weaponized nostalgia against <laughs> us, right? And now when everything is on demand at all times and you can't just all of a sudden artificially create a line out the door of Target when The Little Mermaid comes out in 2010 for some reason, right? Like they can't do that anymore. So they have to get creative. And I I do think that making these like weirdly low budget live action remakes is a creative way for them to do this. You get a little bit of box office money. You move on. You sell a bunch of... Now it's like Little Mermaid the musical is back at theaters everywhere. You know what I mean? Like this Disney, Disney's smart with that kind of stuff. They're they're Evil. smart. Evil mostly, but also smart. Oh, fair enough. Mickey is real. Excuse Mickey me? Mickey is real. Yeah, he's a lot of people don't know that. That's a real person. Oh. Yeah, he's he's the real CEO. Yeah. And just just truly brutal. I, if you remember in like the first couple uh, seasons of Sopranos. Tony Soprano isn't actually the leader. They actually have his uncle is a figurehead and thinks that he's in charge, right? That's how the whole, that's how all of Disney operates. It's actually Mickey Mouse is real and running the show. And what if it was like a live action mouse instead of the cartoon mouse? Oh, it is. Oh, it's like flesh and bone terror creature. Yeah. Like in Hitchhiker's Guide where the mice are the smartest, like most clever you know oh, I mean. you're totally right. Well, actually, in Hitchhiker's Guide, it's the dolphins because the dolphins leave oh. the planet before they even get there. Yeah. So long and thanks for all the fish. I can't believe you referenced Hitchhikers. That's my favorite book of all time. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, it's been a while since I read it, but we also watched the movie kind of recently. It's fun. It's great. Um, everyone go watch Hitchhikers. It, see, if they hadn't shoved the first three books into one movie, it would have been great. If they did three movies, it would have been really, really, really fun. I liked Ricky Gervais in that, but anyway. Or not, was it Ricky Gervais? Martin Freeman. Yeah, British guys. They all Bilbo. Like he they played Bilbo. Like um, yeah, I, well, I could go on forever. <laughs> I was like, Zoe Deschanel in that movie was a flop. Uh, but I will not keep you because this no has been great. I loved, I loved your joke. It was deliciously dark. Thank you. I'm sorry. I feel like I've just been like shaking my camera this entire time. So I apologize to anybody. I've talked a lot about anxiety cinema and I feel like this is just going to end up looking like the Blair Witch Project. So I feel like it all is all really on brand for me. Or like Cloverfield, like some sort of found. Yeah. Underrated movie Cloverfield, I feel like. Yeah. Do you I'm going to give you a platform to say what you want to say, promote what you want to promote. And uh, and then we'll sign off from there. Amazing. Yeah. So in terms of promoting just really one thing. Um, so if you're curious about the way that Laudable is infusing customer quotes and social proof into everyday B2B marketing actions, 
Go and steal ideas from our playbook. It's right on our website, laudable.com slash playbook. It's got like almost 100 ideas in there, all just different things that we've seen real B2B companies do with quotes and social proof and videos and like literally just go and steal a bunch of ideas. We put it out there for free. So, Yeah, and I'll share it in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. This was super, super fun. I love the podcast. I love the art. And I'm going to love listening to myself speak. Yeah. um, I actually hate the way that I sound when I'm talking normally. Like I sound like I'm screaming for some reason, even though I have a very (laughs) quiet voice. But I do like listening to – I will admit to liking listening to my voice played back to me when it's been like normalized. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. A little bit of EQ. Yeah. Oh, hit me, hit me with a little bit of EQ. And there's just something about like pressing in the podcast app and then hearing myself that I'm like, I know I feel a little famous now. A little bit. (laughs) So thank you for being on my show. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course.